Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is always an honor to be with all of you. Thank you for joining me again. And uh, hopefully you're looking for the place where you can hear the unvarnished truth, if you will, for at least from the perch the perspective of a patriotic American uh, son of immigrants, uh, somebody who believes in the American social contract that we are a city on the hill and that we have a lot to lose if this generation does not wake up to the importance of what it means to be an American. And every week that I look at the front lines, the battle lines, if you will, of where these issues come to fruition, be it on internal American Muslim, global Muslim issues regarding the need for reform of a faith that still has not gone through the separation of mosque and state and the need to defeat the significant influence in most Muslim communities of political Islamists, Islamist movements, the Muslim Brotherhood, and the Khomeinist on the Shia side, but also the progressivists, the the movements that desire to destroy America to create a single global entity that nullifies our national identity and our histories. This is all things I like to address and uh, we'll continue doing so. And today, I want to talk to you a little bit about something near and dear to my heart, which relates to the military. We've talked about wokeism in the military, the, the creeping and growing progressivist influence on what identifies our military, and how sadding, how sadly less patriotic our citizens are, our young citizens, our youth are. And we're seeing some of this in the primaries bear out with some of the messaging from the presidential candidates. But a recent piece by Ricky Schlott in the New York Post, I think, highlighted some of this. And I want to, a lot of it spoke to things that I, I just feel I am a bit uniquely positioned to talk to you about in that not only did I serve 11 years, not only did I do so because my parents escaped a country in which they had not only no freedoms, but a a ruthless fascistic dictatorship took over Syria in the mid-60s and even before, but the Ba'ath took over and solidified power and then Assad and his family took over in 70 and Essentially, it's only solidified and and become more and more horrific over the last 50 plus years. And I grew up believing that this country was not only the best democracy, the best country on the planet when it came to giving you the dreams, giving you the ability to live out dreams that you could not do anywhere else, but it had a recipe of a history a declaration of independence and constitution that really provided a foundation that gave us the ideas and principles that have stood us well through improvements and things that we only are continuing to understand better, um, a, a belief and understanding in 
not only liberty and freedom, but what it means to provide the climate in which you can truly have a government that allows you to not be coerced in your speech and not be limited in your freedom of expression, freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom to hold property and ownership. And yet, what preserves that? It's not only the separation of powers, but it is our military that has fought for us domestically and globally for generations upon generations. And yet, as Reagan said, and I've said many times, we are only one generation away from losing that freedom. Many countries have constitutions that look great on paper, but they, yet when it comes to the reality, their societies are oppressive. They are not free. They are not constitutional republics, but rather oppressive open-air prisons. So what's the difference? The difference is a culture, a social contract that respects individual freedom and will, will reach beyond what you'd think any human being would do in order to protect individual freedoms, sometimes at the expense of the collective. That's, that's one of the core messages of enlightenment, of modernity, and especially of Americanism, which is what I'm fighting for and which I, what I will fight for every day and every breath I have. But yet if the military begins to be populated by folks that don't necessarily believe that or understand it or cannot articulate it, then what starts happening to that institution? And what are the signs that it may be happening? The signs is when it's politicized. The signs is when the military becomes not simply the guardians of our civilian government, where our commander-in-chief, who is the president, and also appropriately gives orders and direction to foreign policy, but rather, are they about principle and honor, or are they about a political movement? And they seem to have sacrificed, for example, during the pandemic, thousands upon thousands who refused to take the vaccine and as a physician, I'll tell you, you know, listen, I supported the vaccine. I took it myself. But that doesn't mean that I think it should have been coerced on all of our citizens, let alone those who chose and volunteered to serve in uniform. Now, I know there are other vaccines we push on our military. I get it. And the question is, as a doc, if I was active duty, yes, I'd be recommending that they all get the jab, as as we said. But what is the right answer to those who refuse the jab? Is it to separate them? To push them out? And now they're all being told they can come back in? As we see other things that have evolved in this entire narrative. And again, I don't want to go down a rabbit hole of discussing the vaccine and mandates. But at the end of the day, the politicization of our military is one of the reasons that we're starting to see the thick firewall that 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 maintained the strength the power of the greatest military on the planet begin to thin out and begin to develop cracks 
as Ricky Schlott said in the New York Post, he said much of the military will fall short of recruitment goals by as much as 25% this year, caused by a combination of obesity and falling patriotism in Gen Z and by restrictions on recruits having had therapy. The Army, Navy, Air Force, and Coast Guard are all expected to fall short of their recruitment goals this year. My generation is a real challenge, 25-year-old Marine Second Lieutenant Matthew Weiss told the Post. Something has to change. Spokesperson for the Air Force said they will likely miss their goal by 26,877 new recruits by 10%. The Coast Guard said they will likely only fill 75% of the number of full-time non-commissioned recruits they need. And by the way, folks, this is during an inflationary economy where unemployment is not improving, where some folks are having difficulty making ends meet, and often this is when we see military life increase in its attractiveness. As of April, the Navy, which had over 300,000 active duty personnel, was behind by 6,000 new recruits and the Army by 10,000 out of their 65,000 goal. The Marine Corps is on track to fill its ranks this year, but said that just 23% of the recruit recruitable population meet their medical, moral, and mental standards for service. And at the end of the day, it's not about wokeism, but it is about the fact that recruiters are finding Gen Z, the current generation of age to decide on an early career in the military, to be more suspicious of institutions and less patriotic than millennials. Less patriotic. Bingo, folks. This is what's happening. And that is the beginning That is the beginning warning sign of a cancer that will eat up our entire society. Just as I said when I wrote in my book, A Battle for the Soul of Islam, I talked, I had a whole chapter about Nidal Hassan, how a guy who was a doc psychiatrist in the army served at USIS, the Uniformed Services University, the Health Sciences, had a bio, as I testified to to the House and Senate, a bio similar to mine, God forbid, and yet ended up being one of the most horrific enemies of this country that we've had in generations, killing 13 in a radical Islamist terrorist attack on, on Fort Hood. And there were many, many warning signs, but that is ground zero. Our military is ground zero. I wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal saying why our military should not give conscientious objection to Muslims who ask for that because our faith is not is not pacifistic. And if they sign up, they can't pick and choose which wars. And being Muslim does not mean you can't attack and be part of a military presence in a Muslim-majority country. And that the two cases the Secretary of the Army had decided to allow conscious objection was a way to unravel what it meant to be loyal to this country. Same thing as my criticism when Senator Rand Paul had decided to write a law, which thankfully didn't pass, that he wanted to pass through the Senate, that he named with Muhammad Ali, that would end Selective service, which is essentially the draft. So what a great way to create patriotism among American Muslims than to name the end of the draft after a an American Muslim icon 
who, by the way, I get all the great things, and I've talked about this, and rest his soul, Muhammad Ali, in the last decades of his life, did wonderful things for Parkinson's disease and for this country and charity and healthcare and other things, and boxing, and and um, as an example of a, a spirit that continued to fight like all of us may ask, aspire to. But at the end of the day, his example of not wanting to serve and using his faith of Islam to prevent service to the Supreme, all the way up to the Supreme Court was not an example for anything I'd ever want to do, at least in that part of his life. And yet I talked about what role that would play in making an example for American Muslims of somebody who essentially did not respect the military, did not respect the service that we could serve in uniform and what it meant to believe in cohesion of our forces and our country when our country, whether we agreed with it or not, decided to, decided to commit to a war. These are just examples of why Examples of why I have believed that ground zero is often what happens in our military. Because these are folks, when I served, you know, now I run my own business. I've been a, a business owner for over 25 years in healthcare and primary care. I decide where I'm going to invest, how I reward my employees, what the priorities are, what the initiatives are that I participate in, both inside and outside and around my business. And it's a whole different environment from being a naval officer that I take orders and receive assignments to provide. Now, this was a service that I loved giving and I had a different mindset when I served those 11 years. That mindset was one that I accepted upon entrance. Remember asking for assignment on a ship, serving with a ship that was returning from Operation Restore Hope in Somalia off the shores of Mogadishu in Operation Restore Hope from 93 to 94. This is all part of the service. And yet, we still, we still don't have clarity when it comes to what it means to serve and why we should not politicize our military, why the military is the protector of what the social contracts are in America. So what's happening socially? The internal Pentagon research found that 9% of 16 to 21 year olds would consider service representing a 4% drop since the beginning of the pandemic and the lowest level since 2007, which was the peak year of military deaths in Iraq. Jamil Armstrong, 20-year-old Navy information system technician, third class, currently deployed in Bahrain, said many in his generation are too apathetic to enlist. He said his generation is plagued with apathy and therefore less likely to enlist. I don't disagree with him. Apathy about service, apathy about what it means to be an American apathy. Patriotism is not just simply about waving a flag. Patriotism is about believing that you would die for your country. 
And one of the things I testified and I've said publicly many times is what protected me from ever starting to even think about what jihad is, what being a jihadist means to me theologically, what protected me from that cult, cultish belief of, of the radical Islamist groups, not of my faith, but of those radical Islamist groups, which we have to reform, obviously, and defeat. But what protected me from that was the belief that there's one thing I would die for, and that is this country. I would never really want to die for my faith. No, because that's God's faith. God doesn't need me to die for his faith. He doesn't need me to, to prove my loyalty to him. He knows what's in my heart. I don't need to prove that, but this country needs citizens that would die for it because that's the only way to protect to protect it from enemies who want to unravel and shred our constitution and whether it's the Chinese People's Party, whether it's the Putin Putin manifestation of the KGB and its fascists that are currently running Russia whether it's the Assads or the Khomeinis of the world, whoever it is that wants to destroy the free nations of the planet, it can only be countered by a force that they're afraid of, that they fear. Now, we're not seeing that anymore with Biden. We didn't see it with really with Obama either. But when they fear us, they won't want to go to war against us. So listen, I understand that I've said this, that we can no longer continue to send our troops and blood and treasure to try to shape other countries that just aren't ready to be changed, or even it's not even our role to do so. I get that. But it's a whole other thing when you open up your borders and let millions invade, just welcome them in as if we don't have any doors or locks or anything in our country. And also a whole other thing when you allow them to bring in fentanyl that's killing our, our kids and our youth. It's a whole other thing when you allow the Chinese to manipulate our economy, to, to control and have influence on major sectors of our economy, to continue to enlarge and increase their force threat, their military threats, regionally across the globe to our weakness. And you think that's not going to affect our youth and their attractiveness to our own military when they see that we don't care? That's going to create apathy. They're not going to want to die for this country. And if they don't want to die for this country, we're not going to have a country to keep anymore. We're not going to have a country to save because nobody will care. So ladies and gentlemen, for those parents out there that have kids that are teens or in their 20s, if they're serving or want to serve, God bless you and God bless them for their service to this country. If your kids don't want to serve or are rejecting service, ask yourself why. Nobody's saying they need to make a career or a lifetime out of it, but, you know, listen, I served 11 years and then left, went to the private sector to join my dad in practice. So you can do that. A lot of countries believe in a some, some few years of service, whether it's to your local communities, your faith communities, or your country. It all sometimes overlaps, too. Listen, I felt I could practice my faith more freely in America growing up in Wisconsin and now in Arizona than ever in any so-called Muslim-majority country. 
So therefore, service to the military checked the box not only of thanking this country and putting on the donning the uniform and happily taking orders to be a part of the protection protective force of this country, but also giving back in service to thanking this country and its taxpayers and its fellow citizens for the freedoms that you gave my family. And that's sort of the quid pro quo of life, the quid pro quo of responsibility that we should be teaching our children in the next generation. But what's happening to that? As this 20-year-old said, I just don't think it's appealing to the average modern teenager, Armstrong said. He enlisted at the age of 18 to serve his country. He told the New York Post, there's a lot of apathy. We're so divided right now. There's, And so a lot of young people think, why would I want to defend a government that doesn't appreciate me or is so divided? Walter Reed, Willie Reed, a Navy petty officer, third class serving on the USS John Stennis aircraft carrier, thinks Gen Z lacks the kind of formative life events that inspired prior generations to serve. And I don't think it's that they have no love for their country, but I don't see it being a driving force for them to want to join. Reed, a 30-year-old who shares his experience in the military on YouTube, told the Post, a part of me thinks that if you can barely remember things like 9-11 attack, you won't have the same kind of motivation to serve that my generation did. He saw that as a formative experience. Yeah, that's part of it. And I agree with those who say, you know, like wokeism in the military is a problem, but that's not what's limiting people from joining. I think what's limiting people from joining is looking at their American identity as a driving force of their sense of legacy, of purpose, of who they are as human beings. That's the core. If you feel that your identity, my identity, Zudi Jasser, as a free, sentient human being that can own property, that can believe and act upon my choices, if I felt that that was tied to my American identity or I'd have no freedom, that's why I wanted to serve. And that's why I rejected every other magnetic pull on my axis of service to whatever purpose group or whatever it might be. But the primary one was the American identity. So now, as we go into 9-11, and you'll be listening to this after the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, God rest the souls of all those who sacrificed in this attack on our homeland. And thank all those men and women in uniform that then responded and brought so many of the radicals to justice that attacked this country on 9-11 from Al-Qaeda and then on to every radical Islamist group, including ISIS, that have attacked our citizens abroad and at home. But ask yourself, the one thing I want you to ask yourself, please, on 9-10-2001, there was a mindset. Nobody knew the next morning at 8.43, I believe, on the Eastern time zone that we were going to be attacked by passenger airplanes that were going to kill over 3,000 of our citizens in a 
horrific attack in which airplanes became missiles. Nobody knew that. There was a mindset we were we were punch drunk and happy, as they said. Bush administration was only a few months into its administration. Clinton administration had finished eight years. We had survived the turn of the century with no with no Y two K disasters. And economically, we were booming. And yet, comes 9-11 and 9-12, we started to begin to feel there was a war out there. And some of us actually, I'm not just telling you this, Bin Laden declared war on the United States in 1996, I believe, ignored by the Clinton administration. Radical Islamism had been talked about by some of the counter-jihad experts like Steve Emerson, Daniel Pipes, and others before that time, and nobody really paid attention. Nobody really paid attention. So what's the mentality? I ask you now, as you finish listening to this podcast in the next few minutes, I ask you to just think to yourself, is your mentality... A 9-10-2001 mentality? Or is it a 9-12-2001 mentality? And listen, don't try to dodge the question by saying, well, we're not always going to be like the day after an attack. Like the day after Pearl Harbor or the day after any others of the attack. Attacks we've had. Globally. No, the reality is national security, if we do not maintain our ability to have national sovereignty, borders that we don't allow people to just invade us with no vetting, with no understanding of why they're coming here, what they're bringing with them, and what their intentions are as they join our society, then you have a 910 mentality. If you don't really think there's a drug crisis coming with laced fentanyl and, and, and horrific other drugs that are being uh, pushed upon our youth and spread exponentially, then you have a 9-10 mentality. If you don't see the threats overlapping of China, Islamist movements from the Muslim Brotherhood to the Khomeinist to Russia, and others who share common enemies against the West and especially against America and Israel, then you have a 9-10 mentality. You can only feel comfortable and secure when your government, one of the main roles of government, especially for those of us who, who believe that the smaller the government, the better. One of the main roles is security. Keeping us secure from forces abroad that want to invade us, that want to destroy us. No, again, nobody's saying that we need to have offensive moves and start wars and build nations, etc. But we need to be the advocates of liberty abroad, globally from the bully pulpits, and to have a purpose and a 
protect the national sovereignty of our country. What's happening to this generation? We need to teach them. They don't need to have lived through attacks in order to have a respect for what it means the day after you're attacked. In her book, Generations, the real differences between Gen Z, Millennials, Gen X, Boomers, and Silence, and what they mean for America's future, Jean Twang notes that Zoomers are the generation most likely to favor socialism over capitalism, and that four in ten say that the Founding Fathers are better described as villains than heroes. Right? This is what happened in Black Lives Matter. They're going around the country destroying our, our monuments, our government buildings. This skepticism about the U.S. system very well might be playing a role in the military recruiting, Twain told the Post. The Army said that the state of the economy is also a factor. A strong U.S. job market has historically correlated with a challenging recruiting environment for the military. Fierce competition in the private sector drives wages up and makes the Army's benefits less attractive to prospective candidates. They're even now trying to add pre-training schemes to get people into shape to pass basic physical tests because they couldn't even get through the physical and mental tests, fitness tests of basic training. So they're trying to give them a leg up because there's a lot more demand than supply of those wanting to join. And by the way, don't even think that we should have a draft or that we should somehow make it compulsory. You know, if there's one thing worse then having difficulty in a volunteer force, it would be sort of having ranks filled upon filled by folks that don't want to be there. So don't get me wrong there, please. And we can have that conversation. Now, there are countries that in which compulsory service might work. We can talk about that if you want, but I don't believe the draft should be removed. I think it should still be there uh, as an absolutely necessary entity if ever we have to fight two, two global conflicts at the same time. They say we don't have near the forces we need, but at the end of the day, God willing, that'll never come to fruition and we should stay a volunteer force. More than half of the 18 to 25-year-olds are overweight or obese, according to Johns Hopkins Research. A record number of young people have been diagnosed with mental health disorder and ding, 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 right? Remember what we said in the pandemic? The pandemic after the pandemic has been the mental health problems that have happened as a result of locking pathologically down community after community across the country. Several branches recently increased recruitment payouts long used to attract people with special skills and widen their avail availability. The Navy's bonuses now start at 5000 max out at 75000 and the Army offers 20000 to 50000 bonuses. And Air Force recruits can get 4000 to 40000 They've, met, they've amped up marketing campaign, loosened some requirements, including prohibitions on hand and neck tattoos and past marijuana use, and is already seeing positive impacts from these changes. Whatever that means as far as positive impacts. Remember, we want our best and brightest wanting to go to serve. I remember when I served at Bethesda Naval Hospital, you remember I was part of a 
National Health Professional Scholarship Program, the HPSP program, in which you had young docs from all over the country that often went to some of the most expensive medical schools in the country that signed up for a military scholarship or applied for them once they got accepted to medical school because of the amount of debt we were trying to prevent ourselves from having. So for me, it was more about military service than necessarily debt, but boy, check both boxes for me also. It saved me from getting any debt for medical school. So the bottom line is, is that this was beyond, these are the highest, you know, institutions in the country, most competitive, that then also were all vying for scholarships and ending up at Naval Hospital Bethesda and now the National Center, National Naval Medical Center and a combined hospital that includes Army, Air Force, and Navy in Washington, the Washington area. But I guess my point is, is that obviously the, what is the drive? Why aren't we able to recruit? Maybe it hasn't changed much for physicians because of the scholarship situation, but why are we not able to recruit? And let's end with the comments from Matthew Wise, the Gen Z second lieutenant in the Marine Corps currently deployed in Australia. He said, declining patriotism is going to hurt recruitment. There's no question about that, he told the Post. But there's still enough patriotism that you can find strong people that believe in serving the nation. And that's key. He published a book about Gen Z recruiting crisis, provocatively titled, We Don't Want You, Uncle Sam. Weiss says the gap can be closed if the military starts meeting young people where they are on social media. I don't want people in uniform shaking their butt, doing crazy dances, and disparaging the uniform, Weiss said. But we do have to normalize serving, and that means using social media, having positive discussions in uniform, and showing the American public that we're regular people doing a pretty extraordinary thing. Although the recruitment shortfall concerns him deeply, he says that he can also be an impetus for meaningful change, and for that, the institution can then begin to earn back young people's faith. There's a trust issue. Gen Z is questioning. We like transparency. We want truth. So we demand more of our institutions. I think that we will ultimately be a good thing and get better over time. So listen, the cultural context of this entire conversation also is that both left and right have been hitting the, hitting the institutions that are American. Left and right. The distrust because of the politicization of the military, the politicization of the FBI, the, the Joint Chiefs simply nodding their heads and saying that they'll just, okay, let's, yeah, let's just withdraw from Afghanistan and do so in a sheepish, un-American kind of way. And there's a good conversation on Fox News the other day in which um, General Jack Keane I think responded very appropriately. They were talking about whether some of the generals and McKenzie was talking about how when he was in the Pentagon, he disagreed with the way we pulled out Afghanistan and was embarrassed by what happened and think it was a major mistake that the Biden administration did. And Keene was asked whether he should have resigned and used they, they used General Mattis' resignation from the Trump administration when he disagreed with 
President Trump's mandate to withdraw completely from Syria. And, and Keynes said, listen, you know, if you believe that the military takes orders from civilian government, then it means take orders. You can disagree, but you really shouldn't be setting examples for those that you lead throughout your throughout the, the, the military branches that, well, if the president makes me do something I disagree with completely, then I'm going to resign. I mean, imagine that example if you're if you're major tells you something and you're an ensign to do something that you disagree with based on whether it's based on policy, based on strategy, based on resources, whatever it might be, then you just resign. I get that. I totally get that. But the national conversation that occurred in the horrifically incompetent way that we withdrew from Afghanistan was anemic at best. So I don't know what should have happened at the time when it comes to internal dynamics, and we will likely never know exactly what happened in the war rooms in the Pentagon and elsewhere, but it was a dim day in the history and the chronicles of American military history of what happened and the method in which we pulled out. And to say that that doesn't have any impact, to say that all of the, the embarrassing uh, anecdotes that are coming out of activities of the FBI around the time of the Trump campaign and and uh, dossiers that have been produced and used inappropriately and fabricated and other things to say that all of this doesn't have an impact on our youth's respect for the military that the far left agitprop that is no longer news but is agitation propaganda and then we're going to wonder why the agitation doesn't have an impact on our military and people wanting to join it? Come on. The Islamists that I've been working against, trying to expose, are cheering. They're cheering. The Chinese Communist Party is cheering. Cheering when they see us weakening. See us no longer having core purpose and no longer bringing our best and brightest to our military. So think about that. Do you have a 9-10 mentality or do you have a 9-12 mentality? I hope and pray that all of you begin to, to talk to your neighbors, talk to your family, to tell them the importance of always having a 9-12 mentality because we always have to be ready on guard. Not that God forbid we ever have another attack of any kind, but that we be ready for it and we we make people fear us because that's what prevents war. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R and also at Reform This Radio. God bless. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.